So, you want to learn about patience. So, you want to teach about patience. Well, there's a big difference in learning about patience and teaching about patience and actually exercising patience when everything goes wrong. So, you want to learn about patience? You want to teach about patience. There is a big difference. Yes, I'm repeating myself. Yes, there is a big difference in learning about it and teaching about it than actually having patience and exercising patience when everything goes wrong. And we're going to talk about patience starting right now. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Theology Central Podcast for this Tuesday, July the 12th, 2022. It is currently 4.20 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. As I said in the introduction, so, you want to learn about patience? So, you, you want to teach about patience? There's a big difference. Learning and teaching versus actually exercising patience when everything goes wrong. And for this episode of the Theology Central Podcast, we're going to be talking about patience as we have now arrived at day 29, scripture number 29, in our ongoing series, 30 Scriptures in 30 Days. But if you have been paying close attention, you know that, wait, no, 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 no. This is not actually day 29. This is actually day 30. You skipped a day. No, no, no. I didn't skip a day. I actually did a live broadcast on day 29, just as I promised I would, but everything went wrong. And and some kind of, I don't know, twisted irony. I don't know how, what you want to re- refer to it as. I did 40-something minutes teaching about patience. 
talking about patience, and then everything went wrong. And so next thing you know, the broadcast ends because I lose internet connection. Everything falls apart. I lose that 45 minutes of teaching, just gone. And there I, then, you know, the the broadcast is over and here I sit in an empty room going, wait a minute. I just spent 45 minutes trying to teach on patience. I just spent 40. That was good information. That was biblical. That was godly. That would have been helpful. And then I found myself getting frustrated. And then I found myself getting irritated. And then I found myself getting angry. And then I found myself having somewhat of a pity party. And I was handling it all in an incorrect way. And then all of a sudden, I had to remind myself, patience, patience, Patience is defined as, and I think you probably know this definition of patience, right? The capacity, habit, or fact of being patient, okay, uh, and a, uh, an ability or willingness to suppress restlessness or annoyance when confronted with delay. Oh, that that's that's uh, n- not the best thing that you want to hear. The ability to wait or to continue doing something despite difficulties or to suffer without complaining or becoming annoyed. And I'm like, wait. So as soon as I realized I was becoming annoyed, frustrated, and angry when things didn't go my way, then guess what? I realized what, how, yeah, it was easy to sit there in front of the microphone teaching about patience. It was so easy to do that, right? I sounded so good. I sounded so spiritual. I sounded so godly. But the minute everything went wrong, all of those words that I said about patience, all of those things I said wasn't being lived. All of those things I said wasn't being applied. How, how often does that happen to you in your spiritual life? Where you know the right words to say. You say the right words. But as soon as you're done saying the words and you're confronted with a reality, then all of a sudden your words became nothing more than words. And now you are acting, thinking, and doing things in a way that contradicts what you said. Christianity, we all know the right words. We know the right things to say. We know the right verses to quote. But it's such a big difference between saying, I want to learn about this, teaching about this, even giving, you know, an amen to the concept. It's far different when church is over, when the sanctuary is empty, and it's now whatever time on whatever day, wherever you are, you're no longer in the church. And then all of a sudden now reality hits. And now reality has a way of going, oh, you learned that. Oh, you talked about that. Oh, you said amen to that. Well, let's see what happens when you get punched in the face. Now, come on. Are you going to live it? Well, guess what? I spent 40-something minutes teaching about patience. Then I got slapped in the face and then immediately demonstrated a lack thereof. I talked about patience, but immediately found myself living uh, in a way that was completely different, completely different to what I had said. And that is extremely frustrating. Let me read just another definition of patience. The capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. The capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. (laughs) 
Well, I, I experienced a little bit of trouble. I experienced, I, I just, I just, uh, not even really suffering, but I, I was suffering frustration and irritation because I had spent so much time working on something and all of my work was gone. And guess what? I didn't demonstrate the capacity to accept these issues without getting angry or upset. No, I experienced the issue and responded with anger and being upset. So let me ask you again. You want to learn about patience? Let me ask you again. Oh, you want to teach about patience? You want to preach a sermon? You want to teach a Sunday school lesson about patience? I just want you to know that's very different than actually exercising patience when everything goes wrong. Now, are you ready to talk about it today? Because that's what we're going to do for the remainder of this program for the remainder of this live broadcast, for the remainder of this episode. I would challenge you to grab a notebook, a Bible, and let's dig in. Now, first, let me remind you what we're doing in this series. Many years ago, Charles Stanley wrote a book called 30 Life Principles. That book became a Bible called the Life Principles Bible. That that book, Bible, became a study guide called the 30 Life Principles Study Guide. And I stumbled across the book a long time ago not that I agree with everything Charles Stanley ever taught, but I stumbled across it and across it, and I was always somewhat fascinated by it. Well, here's Charles Stanley. He's been preaching for a long time, and here's 30 principles that he thinks, you know, everyone needs in their life, that this would be 30 principles everyone could use in their life. And I'm like, that's really cool. I'm going to write down these 30 life principles, and then I can study the scripture that's connected to them, meditate on them. And even if I may disagree with some of the principles, I'll benefit from studying the scripture, and maybe I can find some of these principles that would be very helpful in my Christian life and help me grow. So I'm like, okay, I got the book. I got the notebook. I bought my notebook. I got a pencil. I was ready to go. And then I started working on the 30 Life Principles book. And I was like, I am so confused because he had principles. He had scriptures from which these principles supposedly were taken from. And I kept going, principle, scripture, principle, scripture, There's no way that principle came from that scripture. And in some cases, these scriptures actually contradict the principle that he's given. They don't connect. It was like opening up a puzzle box and the pieces did not fit together. So I kind of got frustrated. I would kind of just put the books away, throw them on a shelf somewhere and just say, forget it, forget it. Sooner or later, I'd always go back to them like, I've got to be able to get something out of these books. I paid money for them. I got to get something. Finally, I came up with a very brilliant idea I know what I'll do. I'll grab the book. I'll grab the study guide. I'll just go live on the air. And I know what we'll do. We'll just go through each each one. Principle one will be day one. Principle two will be uh, day two. I'll just turn on the microphone, go live, open the book and say, here's the principle. We're going to look at the scripture. We'll set aside his principle and see what we can learn by going and analyzing each one of these scriptures. But we'll we'll add a twist. Instead of me preparing beforehand, we'll just do it live on the air so that it will come across like, hey guys, we're sitting around a table. We've got the books. I'm like, hey, here's the principle. What do you think about the principle? I don't really know about that principle. Okay, guys, let's set aside the principle. Let's look at the scripture he gives. What principles can we find in these scriptures? And it's almost like we're doing it in real time together. That added kind of an extra twist. It forced me to basically try to carry out biblical hermeneutics in real time. Some of the episodes have been successful. Some of them have not been, but they've all been very real 
somewhat fun and hopefully somewhat interesting to listen to. Yesterday, we came to scripture number 29, day number 29. Everything went wrong, as I've already had indicated. So we're going to go back to day 29. We're going to go back to scripture number 29. But obviously, I wasn't going to turn on the microphone today and pretend like yesterday didn't happen. That would be, well, that would not be correct. That would not be accurate. That would be disingenuous. And that would destroy the whole purpose of this program anyway, trying to make it very real, right? So in this case, I know what's coming. If you heard the live broadcast yesterday, you already know what's coming, but I'm going to try to take us on this journey again, and hopefully we can gain even more knowledge than we gained yesterday. Clearly, we're going to be talking about patience, and you're going to see why in just a minute. If you have not been with us, please go back to day scripture number, or, you know, the 30, 30 scriptures in 30 days, part one, and listen to part one to 28, and Hopefully you'll find something. I think you're going to find each, put it it this way. Every episode was unique and different because everyone presented different challenges. And I think that even from just that perspective, you should find it somewhat fun to listen to. But are you ready? So technically, this is actually day 29 happening on day 30. And I apologize, but I'm going to make sure we do day 29 and day 30 today so that we can bring this series to somewhat of hopefully a very beneficial conclusion. I would like to say a dramatic conclusion, but I don't know what's going to happen on day when we actually get to day 30. I don't know what's going to happen, so I can't say that, but I know this one should turn out to be hopefully pretty good. Hey, even if it's not, obviously, you know what, the way I'm thinking about it now, obviously none of this is for you because obviously the one person who needed to learn about patience was the one doing the teaching. So this has become an object lesson for me. I've become the object lesson. I've become the example of what not to do when facing difficulties. All right. So are you ready? Okay. We're going to open up the Kindle app so that I can go to 30 Life Principles by Charles Stanley. And there is Life Principle number 29. And Life Principle number 29, according to Charles Stanley, is this. We learn more in our valley experiences than on our mountaintops. Now, I know what you're thinking. What does that have to do with patience? Look, I agree to some level that I don't really know what that has to do with patience. The the way we got to patience is because of the scripture he provides. The scripture he provides has more to do with patience than supposedly valley experiences versus mountaintop experiences, but that's the principle he gives. Once again, I don't know why he wouldn't take his principle maybe from actually the language used in the scripture he provides. It's really bizarre how he even tries to connect these principles to these scriptures. In some cases, I don't even see a connection, but here we go. Are you ready? Here we go. First, let's look at this principle briefly. According to Charles Stanley, you're going to learn more and your valley experience than you will on the mountaintop. And I, I, I hate to say this. I call this into question. I, I don't know if I agree with this. Listen to what I'm about to say. I think it's when, at least from my experience, 
Mountain, when we think of a mountaintop experience, we think when things are going really well, things are going really good, and it's a, it's a great, a great spiritual situation, right? We're learning, we're hearing great preaching, things, we're able to focus, everything seems to be going great. I think sometimes in those mountaintop experiences, that's where we really learn the most. Because I, you tend to learn when things are going well, when things are going horrible and everything's falling apart, it's hard to learn. You're so distracted by your pain, your frustration, your confusion, your doubt, your fear, your anxiety, your loneliness, your pain, your depression, your discouragement. That screams and blocks out sometimes actually learning. But when some of that goes away and you're in a sense, man, I'm on the mountaintop, everything's going great here. Well, I think you learn a lot of things. And I think there's some great examples of mountaintop experiences in the Bible where I think some learning took place. I don't know, Moses on Mount Sinai, I think there was some learning going on, don't you? I think Mount Trans- the Mount of Transfiguration, I think those disciples were learning a few things, don't you? So I think we learn more in the mountaintop experience. Well, let me say this. We learn just as much on the mountaintop as we do in the valley. The valley tends to represent when we're going through difficult times, hard times. Here's what I think happens. The mountaintop is where we learn the theology, where we learn the doctrine, where we learn the truths. It is the valley where that theology becomes now put into practice. Let me think this. When we get, let's, let, let's state it this way. When you're sitting in the, in the church, when you're sitting in the sanctuary and things are going good in your life and you're all dressed up nice for church and, and everything's going great with your wife and your kids and everyone's happy and you and your wife are holding hands as you're listening to the sermon, taking notes, everyone's wonderful, love is in the air, everything's great, everything's wonderful, you got money in your bank account, everything seems to be going good and you're sitting there taking all of those notes about systematic theology and, and you're interpreting scripture and you go home and you and your wife talk about it and just everything's wonderful. I think you're learning so much in those mountaintop experiences, but we will call that theoretical theology. But when all of a sudden you stumble, you fall, boom, 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 boom. You go rolling down the mountaintop and you're laying at the bottom of the mountaintop with two broken legs, a broken arm, and your neck feels like it, that you possibly broke it and you can't move. All of a sudden you're in the valley. Guess what? That theoretical theology, now this is where it becomes practical theology. This is where now it has to be put into use. It has to be put into practice. So I don't think you learn more in the valley than you do in the mountaintop. I think the valley provides the place for you to take your theoretical theology and now it transfers into practical theology. You can learn lots of theological principles and lots of theological ideas until you can learn, think of it, the theology of forgiving others. Turning the other cheek, loving your enemy, blessing those who curse you, doing good to them who would persecute you and use you. That's theoretical. That's theoretical until all of a sudden, boom, someone smacks you in the face. They lie about you, slander you, hurt you, stab you in the back, betray you, and try to destroy you. All of a sudden now, that mountaintop theory has to be put into practice in the valley where now you feel hurt, betrayed, angry, mad. You want vengeance. You want to get back. And all of a sudden you remember on the mountaintop, I was taught that I'm supposed to love my enemy. I'm supposed to turn the other cheek. 
the mountaintop gives you the opportunity to learn the theory. The valley gives you the opportunity to put it into practice. So I agree with this. I, I will put that. I disagree with this principle. I don't believe we learn more in the valley experience. I believe the valley experience provides me an opportunity to put into practice what I learned on the mountaintop. I would have to completely rewrite, rewrite his principle. I like the fact that the principle gives me valley top or valley top, valley experiences and mountaintops. I like it gives me those two concepts, but I would go in a completely different direction. I know that that's taught. So you know, we learn more in the valley than the mountaintop. And everybody in the church says, amen. I'm like, no, 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 no. The mountaintop is where you learn. The valley is where you practice, where you put into practice. There's completely different purposes and concepts. Both are important. Both are necessary. And you learn, I think, the same amount, just you're learning in different ways. That's what I would have to say. But we're not here to talk about his principle, are we? No. But let me give you an example. Last night, sitting in front of this microphone, right? I had my notebooks, had bottles of water. There, I knew I could tell by looking at the statistics that there were people listening to me live. I was excited. It was day 29. We were going to finish day 29. Oh, man, my, my, I made a promise that we're going to do, that we're going to do 30 episodes in 30 days, looking at 30 scriptures. We were going, and, and I was fulfilling that promise and I was going to pull it off. And no matter how discouraged I got, no matter how depressed I got, I said I was going to make it. I, and we were going to do it. And I was going to feel a sense of accomplishment. And I was going to pat myself on the back and go, man, I made it all 30 days. I was getting so close. I was so ready. I was going to end that day with, with everything was going wonderful, right? But, and so I was teaching about patience and patience this and patience that. And this is what biblical patience is. And this is what we need to do. And that's not biblical patience. And, and oh, I mean, I was preaching and I, I thought it was all going pretty good. At least I thought it was going decent. And this, but I was, it was all theoretical, right? But then, boom, the internet disconnects. I lose the entire teaching. And immediately, I go from a quote-unquote a mountaintop to the valley. And then, well, guess what I started doing in the valley? This is a bunch of garbage. I'm wasting my time. That was dumb. Now I got to do this all over. I don't even want to do it again. Who cares? I'm wasting. It was a waste of time anyway. And you know what? Just forget it. I'm not even going to finish the series. I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm tired of... And just start whining and complaining and throwing a fit like a little baby. I went from the mountain to the valley in three seconds. In the mountain, I was learning about biblical patience. But as soon as I entered into the valley, I wasn't putting into practice what I just literally taught on the mountaintop. Oh, come on. Come on. Don't act like you're all so super spiritual. You've done the same things. You've been sitting in church and they preach some a, a sermon that's very biblical, very scriptural about marriage or about how to deal with your children. Or, and by the time you even get, by the time you get in the car and get home for, for lunch, man, you've already done the absolute opposite with your kids. You're screaming at your spouse. You're ready. You're tired. You're frustrated. You're already, you're, you're, you're already on your phone looking up a divorce lawyer. You've already had it. Come on. Oh, come on. I can't be the only one. Come on. No, okay, all right, well, 
Nobody's saying anything. So clearly that, that I'm, I'm preaching to all the perfect people. But those of us who are imperfect, that's what, from the mountain to the valley can happen in three seconds. And, it, and you can learn all of the doctrine and the theology, but it takes the valley to demonstrate if you're going to actually put it into, if it's going to become practical. All right? So there's the valley and the mountaintop. Now, how in the world... Do we get to the subject of patience? Well, that's because, according to Charles Stanley, he derived this principle from James chapter 5, verse 10. James chapter 5, verse 10. James chapter 5, verse 10. He, re, he, he writes this. The book of, in the book of James, James writes the following words. James chapter 5, verse 10. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. So James, to the people he's writing to, he wants them to take, my brethren, he wants them to take into consideration, to take to mind the prophets, the prophets of the Old Testament who spoke in the name of the Lord. They were godly. They were righteous. They, they preached messages in the name of the Lord. They delivered prophecy in the name of the Lord. Remember them and see them as an example of suffering affliction. So you can see how godly people can suffer affliction and of patience within that affliction. Now, I don't know what that means about you learn more in the valley than you do in the mountaintop. That, that hasn't have anything to do, that scripture has nothing to do with that principle, but it does have a lot to say about patience, does it not? It does. So first thing we're going to do, let's define what biblical patience is based off first the word that is used. And if you'll notice something, if you go back to verse 7, James 5 verse 7, just count these. Be patient, number one. Therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord, behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience. There's the word you, there's a, you have patient, patience, but same concept. There's the second use of it. Until he receiveth the early and latter rains. Verse eight, be ye also patient, third use of the concept. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Then he tells everyone not to grudge not one against another. Uh, then he says verse in verse 10, Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. There's number four, all right? Then uh, verse 11, Behold, we count, them in we count them happy which endured. You have heard of the patience, there's number five, of Job and have been an, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. So in a, just a number of verses, we have five references to the concept of patience or being patient. So clearly this section wants us to know about patience, about being patient. Well, what's the biblical concept? What's the biblical word here? Well, let's do this. If you have the Blue Letter Bible app available on your mobile device, this is a great time to open it. The Blue Letter Bible app. Now, we spent a lot, wait a little long going for our introduction, but that's okay. We're going to just go to, um, we'll just go all the way back to verse 7, right? We'll go to verse 7, uh, open up the interlinear, right? Be patient. It's this Greek word 
The word for be patient here, the Greek word translated be patient, is this. Strong's G, 3114, Makrath Umeo. Makrath Umeo. You want to learn that Greek word today, Makrath Umeo. You want to walk around the house, Makrath Umeo. And there's going to be times you're going to see your family, your kids, your wife, you may be a friend, and they're going to be acting in a certain way. And they're going to be demonstrating a lack of Makrath Umeo. They're going to demonstrate that they're not exercising Makrath Umeo. And you need to say, hey, guys, guys, Makrath Umeo. We need more Makrath Umeo. You can go write Makrath Umeo on the refrigerator. Makrath Umeo. And they'll be like, what's that? You need to know it. We all need it. And trust me, I'm now preaching this to myself. I need Makrath Umeo. I'm preaching this to myself. Because clearly, last night I demonstrated that I don't have Makrathumeo. Now, what Makrathumeo? Be patient. It's used 10 times in the King James. Three times be patient, have patience, have long patience, bear long, suffer long, be long-suffering, patiently endure. Well, that's giving us a little clue. Long-suffering, patiently endure. Makrathumeo. Here's the outline, here's Strong's definition of Makrath Umeo. To be long-spirited, forbearing, patient, bear, suffer long, be long-suffering, have long patience, be patient, patiently endure. So Makrath Umeo is the idea of there is, you're long-spirited, you remain, you, 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 you suffer and endure long with maintaining a right spirit. It's being the right spirit it endures long despite, uh, in spite of the suffering that you endure. Do you maintain the right spiritual perspective in the face of trial, suffering, difficulty, and delay? Do you suffer long under things that go wrong, but in a right-spirited way? Makrath Umeo, the outline of biblical usage, to be of a long spirit, not to lose heart. See, a long spirit, your spirit may, remains the right, the right way of thinking. You don't lose heart. You don't lose heart. You don't lose spirit. You maintain the right perspective, no matter the difficulty. To preserve patiently and bravely enduring misfortunes and troubles. So there's, there's misfortune, there's trouble, but you persevere patiently or to preserve patiently, per, uh, to persevere patiently, preserve, persevere, right? I, I persevere is the word, to persevere patiently and bravely, to be patient and bearing the offenses and injuries of others. When others do things to you, you are patient and you bear it. When they lie about you, gossip, slander, betray you, there's a patience within it. To be mild and slow and avenging. Someone does something wrong, you, I'm not, you're not going to strike back. I'm going to turn the other cheek. I'm not going to avenge myself. I'm going to be patient. To be long-suffering, slow to anger, slow to punish. How slow are you to anger? How slow are you to punish? Do you demonstrate this kind of biblical patience in your marriage, in your parenting, in your work life, in your driving, in your social media ac actions, in your communication? Is there biblical patience on display? 
That's Makroth Umeo. Now, Makroth Umeo is used... Uh, it's used in James 5, 7, in the very first part, be patient, therefore, brethren. Okay, that's James 5, 7. Uh, um, Unto the coming of the Lord, behold, the husbandman waited for the precious fruit of the earth and have long patience. So it's used twice in James 5, 7. It's used in James 5, 8. Be patient, ye, uh, or be ye also patient, uh, or be ye also patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. All right, James 5, 7. And James 5, 8, all use mock Roth Umeo. Now, what's interesting, if you go to James 5, 10, I don't know why it doesn't show it here, but if you go to James 5, 10, all right, and you look up, uh, see, for an example, I'm reading from the interlinear, for an example, take of suffering affliction, brethren, my and of patience, it's Makroth Umeo as well. I don't know why it doesn't list it there. Um, that's weird. Um, yeah, uh, that's weird. Um, because typically it shows every verse where it's used, so there's something going on here. But okay, but it looks like Makroth Umeo is used in James 5, 7, James 5, 8, and in James 5, uh, 10. I'm looking at James really uh, quick. It's used in 7, it's used in 8, and it's used in 10. Yeah, I didn't look at 11. Let's look at 11 really quick. Go to James 5, 11. It talks about the patience of Job. James 5, 11. Patience. Oh, it uses a different uh, Greek word. Uh, d- uh, d- this Greek word is this. Strong's G, 5281. Hupamane. 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 It's used 32 times, and it's steadfast fastness, consistency, endurance, patiently and steadfastly. So still very similar to the other, Mukrath Umeo, okay? So that's the basic idea. It's long-suffering. It's enduring, but it's in, so you're, you're enduring, but you're doing so patiently. It's not enduring like, oh man, okay, I'm going to endure it. But no, it's a patient enduring where you're handling it with the right spiritual mindset and the right spiritual attitude. Do you have biblical patience? Do you have it? Now, if we go back to a English translation of patience, let me, I'm, this is the one I love. This is from, uh, I think, the Oxford Dicks- Dictionary. The capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. Do you demonstrate biblical patience in every aspect of your life? Do you demonstrate that? Now, if we go back to James 5, 7, it's very interesting how this is given, all right? Look at what how this, this section really demonstrates it. First, we almost have a declarative statement. James 5, 7, be patient. Be patient, therefore, brethren. I want you to be patient. Then he meet, and we are to be patient unto the coming of the Lord. We are to remain patient, looking for the coming of the Lord all the way until he returns. So whenever you live, you are to remain patient until Christ returns. So your patience is not just, well, if I can be patient this week. No, it's patient all the way until you are in the presence of God, right? So patience is a lifelong pursuit. So it, it basically gives us the, the declarative statement, be patient. Tells us how long we are to be patient until the coming of the Lord. Then immediately it gives us an example. Behold, 
the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receiveth the earth and latter rain. So it gives us an example basically of a farmer. A farmer is waiting for the harvest. He's patiently waiting and he's patiently waiting for the rain to ensure that he's going to get that harvest. But guess what? He plants and then there's all kinds of, there may be drought, there may be difficulty, there may be, but he patiently waits and endures with the right spiritual attitude waiting for that harvest. We patiently endure waiting for the return of Christ. Then immediately, so after it gives, so it basically gives us the declarative statement. Then it gives an example. Then it turns right back around in verse eight. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. So declarative statement, example, basically another declarative statement. Then verse nine, grudge not one one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Hey, while you're being patient, don't start grumbling and grudging and fighting one another. In other words, while you're pa- if you're patiently enduring, it should not be, it should not show, well, what should not manifest in your life is this frustrated arguing and gr- being grudging and complaining against each other. Look, we know sometimes when you're patiently, well, when you're trying to endure something, you're going through something and you're longing for, for something better. Sometimes in that interim period, you can find yourself becoming very irritable, very quick to get upset, very quick to snap at someone, very, very quick to bite someone's head off. No, 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 no. Maintain biblical patience. Don't, don't, don't do that. Then immediately, so it gives basically a statement, gives an example, gives the declarative statement, tells you what not to do while you're being patient. Then we get another example. My brethren, consider the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Remember the prophets. They proclaimed God's word. They were trying to live out godly lives, but many of them saw so much pain and judgment and death and destruction. They're trying to preach God's word, but instead of seeing salvation and deliverance and revival, they saw rebellion, idolatry, judgment, and destruction. They had to maintain patience, even when everything around them was going the opposite direction. So they give another example. Then look what happens in the next verse. Um, Verse 11, behold, we count them happy, which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job. Then he then gives another example, Job. So this is filled with examples. Hey, be patient. Consider these examples. Now we could take, take each example apart, but clearly there is a major focus on being patient. So here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. First, I want to make sure everything is still working correctly. Okay, good. This text clearly demonstrates to us that biblical patience is critical to living the Christian life. I want you to understand biblical patience is absolutely critical to living the Christian life. You need to learn this like right now. This is like discipleship 101. Oh, you're a Christian? Okay, I need you to understand biblical patience. What is biblical patience? We defined it, right? It's this long suffering. It's it's enduring biblically so that you maintain the right spirit and the right attitude no matter the 
the affliction, the trial, the trouble. You demonstrate a godly patience. And that's maintaining the right biblical attitude, the right biblical perspective, the right biblical thinking. Trial and affliction can so mess up your emotions and mess up your thinking. But if you have a long-spirited patient, Patience, you maintain the right biblical attitude in it. It is absolutely critical to living the Christian life. It is absolutely critical to living the Christian life. So you can write that that down as principle number 45 if you've been following along, or this would just be number one for today. Biblical patience is critical to the Christian life. But I'm going to hear someone, and I can already hear them. But wait, but wait, 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 wait. Why is it so critical? Why is it so critical? We get kind of a hint in those verses. We have a farmer, we have the prophets, and we have Job. A farmer plants, and guess what? You plant something, and then you have to wait. And what you may see after you you plant it, and it's, it's hidden, it's gone. It, you've planted it. Now you've got to wait for something that you cannot see. When you look out there at your crops, when you look at what you've planted, you don't see anything at the moment, right? You don't see anything. And you get, you just got to wait patiently that there's going to be a harvest, that there, there is going to be a harvest that you're going to be able to, you're going to be able to reap, that there's going, there's going to be something there, but you don't see it. In the meantime, you may see no rain, you may see insects, you may see locusts, who knows what you're going to see. But so in the meantime, you've got to maintain patience, even though you don't see what you're waiting for, what you're patiently, so you've got to endure that which seems to go against what you are waiting for. You don't see it, right? Then it talks about the prophets. Well, the prophets preach God's word, right? Proclaim God's word. And guess what they saw? They didn't see, quote unquote, any positive fruit from the preaching of God's word. In many cases, they saw rebellion, idolatry, and judgment, and death. But they still believed in God's word and still believed God would keep his promises. But in many cases, they witnessed something that was opposite to what they may, they may have even given prophecies that pointed to something far better, but they never even saw the ultimate fulfillment of those promises. Job He had to patiently endure with God, not even knowing or understanding what was going on. So biblical patience is critical to living the Christian life. That's principle number 45 or number one for today. But number 46 answers why we need it. We need biblical patience to endure a reality that contradicts the theology we confess. Oh, you've got to stay with me here. You've got to stay with me here. All right? You've got to stay with me here. We need a biblical patience to endure a reality that contradicts the theology we confess. I want you to think of the theology we confess. The theology we confess, there is a God who is eternal. That God is creator of heaven and earth. That God is all-powerful. That God is all-knowing. That God is sovereign who does whatever he wills. In fact, he works all things according to his will and his pleasure. We confess that. We confess God is holy. He is powerful. He is righteous. He is sovereign. 
He is all-knowing. And we could, we could use, you know, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. We could use all the theological terms and we confess it. And everybody will like, amen, amen, amen. It sounds good. And then you leave church and you walk into a world that doesn't sometimes make sense. If God is all powerful, if God is all knowing, then why do I live in a world where everything is completely messed up and there's pain, suffering, and death? Where is God? He could, he has the power to intervene. Why didn't he? He has the power to change it. He has the power to fix it. He had the power to prevent it. Why would he create a world knowing it was going to turn out this way? You're going to find yourself constantly confronted with a reality that seems to contradict what you believe. And if you haven't experienced that yet, maybe you haven't been paying any attention. There's little kids right now, today, dying of terminal cancer who will not see their 12th birthday, their 14th birthday. They'll never have their first kiss. They'll never have their first love. They will never experience so many things. Their life is born and suffer and then die. They're not going to be healed. They're not going to be experience anything. There are people coming back from, well, not maybe at this moment, but recently and years past coming back from Afghanistan or Iraq with no arm or no leg are paralyzed, not going to be healed, not going to get a new leg, not going to, nope, they came back, and they witnessed the horrors of war. There are people right now in Ukraine suffering and dying. We are confronted every day with pain and, and, and suffering and sin and death and destruction, and sometimes it contradicts the fact that there is an all-knowing, eternal, all-powerful God who could intervene and change it but he doesn't. That requires biblical patience to endure it. That we maintain the right spiritual attitude in the face of a reality that contradicts the theology that we confess. I told the story last night. I'm going to tell it again. I was a very new Christian. Had not been saved that long. Wasn't living at home because of all the problems in my home. I'm in the cafeteria. Get the overhead announcement. Come to the, come to the principal's office. I'm told I need to get to the hospital. I walked into Hendricks Hospital on the north side of Abilene, Texas. And I walk into the hospital room. And for all practical purposes, well, my mom's dead. She's not declared dead yet. But I mean, for all practical purposes, it's over. At that moment, I didn't quite completely know that it was over, but I, but because I, I was given some idea that there could be some hope, but it looked really, really, really bad. She could not speak to me. She could not talk to me. She couldn't hear me, but it, it looked really, really bad. I, I'm very upset, very mad, but I'm like, okay, I believe in God now, right? I believe in an all-powerful God. He's creator of heaven and earth. He can do anything. And so I go from the hospital to the sanctuary of First Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa. Scola, Texas, and I spend the night in that sanctuary, laying up on the altar, crying, 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 begging, begging, pleading, 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 pleading. God, you're all powerful. You can do it. I'm following you. I used to do, I was doing drugs and I was doing this, but I believe in you now. Lord, help me out. Lord, help. Just get, bring my mom back so that I can talk to her. Then maybe we can reconcile. Please, 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 please. And she dies. Did I patiently endure that? Oh, absolutely not. Became bitter, became depressed, became angry, became mad, made 50 million wrong decisions, ultimately leading me trying to kill myself. Everything went horribly wrong for a very long time. Did not patiently endure. 
Oh, when my father got cancer, hey, Lord, you, you can heal him. You can remove. He dies. Oh, in 2003, I go get an anthrax shot because I have to, because I'm going to be deployed to some undisclosed location in Iraq. Wait a minute. 72 hours later, I'm, well, they're calling a, calling a code blue. I'm for all practical purposes. Hey, what happened? He's dead. It, I'm in a massive seizure. And now I, I, to this very day, I have seizures as a result of everything that happened to me, completely upended my life, caused me so many problems. I'm not making any excuses. Things I did wrong during the times of seizures, still my fault, not making any excuses, but it massively changed my life. Guess what? I didn't always patiently endure. I got mad, I got angry, I got upset, and times bitter. In some ways, I'm thankful for everything that happened. In other ways, sometimes I hate everything that it did to me. I prayed, 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 prayed. Doesn't go away. Seizure's still here. But there's an eternal, all-powerful God who could intervene, who could change it. I've got to, if I don't have biblical patience, I will be overwhelmed by what I see. That's why I have to walk by faith and not by sight. Faith says God is still on the throne. God is still all-powerful. All of those things are still true of God. And I have to patiently endure until the coming of the Lord when I am in his presence. And then there will be no more seizures. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more death. There'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more any of that. But I must patiently endure. If I don't maintain biblical patience, then the reality will over will overrun and override the theology I confess. Patient patience patient endurance is critical for me to maintain the theology I confess in the very face of a reality that contradicts it and denies it and may scream, "Why are you holding on to it?" Biblical patience is so critical to your spiritual life. And the only way to maintain biblical patience is for you not to be blinded by the what you see, but for you to believe what you do not see. All right. In fact, I'm going to I'm going to turn this into I'm going to turn this into another principle. 47. All right. The way to maintain biblical patience is to, I'm going to say, focus on the truth we cannot see to help us not be blinded by what we can see. I know that sounds contradictory, but it is not. The way to maintain biblical patience is to focus on the, tr- on the truth we cannot see to keep us from being blinded by what we can see. The Christian life, it's a life lived by faith, right? It's, it's, we walk by faith and not by sight. By faith, I know there's a God. I cannot see him. By faith, I know God is all-powerful, eternal, and sovereign. It doesn't always appear to, to be that way. I know that there will be a day, there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, and no more death. I know that. I have to hold on to that by faith. 
If I can focus on that spiritual reality, then I will not be blinded by what I do see because you know what I do see? Pain, suffering, death, disease, and it doesn't always make any sense to me. I see desires that God says I'm not supposed to have. I see what I want that goes against what God wants. And sometimes it doesn't make any sense. God, come on, you're God. You, you, don't need, you can take these desires away from me. You can take these str- struggles away from me. You can stop it. You can remove my sinful nature in, right now, but you haven't. Doesn't make any sense. God is still holy. God's way is still perfect. God is still true. I have to focus on what I cannot see, the truth of what I cannot see, so that I will not be blinded by what I do see, because what you do see will completely blind you. And the only way, that's how you maintain biblical, and uh, biblical, not endurance, biblical patience. I can patiently endure if my focus is what I, is not on what I see, but what I cannot see. Let me go through these again. Biblical patience is critical to living the Christian life. Why is biblical patience critical? Because we need biblical patience to endure a reality that contradicts a theology we confess. The way we maintain biblical patience is to focus on the truth we cannot see to, to keep, to help us not be blinded or to keep us from being blinded by what we can see. The way to maintain biblical patience is to focus on the truth we cannot see to keep us from being blinded by what we can see. We are blinded by what we can see. That that seems contradictory. No, no, no. I'm not blinded by what what I can't see. Spiritually, you are. Because you have to see what you cannot see. You've got to hold on to what you cannot see. Because sometimes what we see is too hard to even comprehend. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Let me see if I can find this news story because it's very important. I'm going to go to my notes here. Here it is. Aiden McCarthy's photo was shared across Chicago area social media groups in the hours after the July 4th parade shooting in Highland Park. This photo was accompanied by pleas to help identify the two-year-old who had been found at the scene bloodied and alone because they were pleading to reunite this two-year-old with his family. So they found a two-year-old wandering around after the shooting, covered in blood, and they were like, hey, does anyone know who this child is? We want to reunite him with his family. On Tuesday, friends and authorities confirmed that the boy's parents, Kevin McCarthy, age 37, Irina McCarthy, 35, were among the seven people killed in the tragedy. At two years of age, Aiden is left in the unthinkable position to grow up without parents. Little boy was brought to a parade. Celebrate the 4th of July. All of a sudden, shots ring out. Boom. And a a second. And a snap of a finger. He's got blood on him. He's two years old. He doesn't even know what's going on. He's wandering around, doesn't understand what's happening. But laying there on the pavement are his parents dead. He's two years old, gone. Now, my, my theology says God could have stopped it. God could intervene. God could have protected his parents. 
could have kept at least one of them alive. That's, that's what my theology tells me. Reality is like, where's God? My God, my God, why have you forsaken this little boy? Why has this happened? Where, where, where are you? Biblical patience is critical for me to endure that, for me to understand it, for me to maintain the right biblical perspective in it. And that didn't even happen to me. But when it, when, when tragedy comes sneaking up in you and you get that phone call at two o'clock in the morning, that something horrible has happened to a loved one. When you get that diagnosis, when everything falls apart, when you've been stabbed in the back, you've been abused, you've been taken advantage of by a spiritual leader, something horrible has happened to you. Principle number 45, or principle number one for today, depending on how you're counting, biblical patience is critical to live the Christian life. Principle number 46, or number two, we need biblical patience to endure a reality that contradicts the theology we confess. Number 47, the way to maintain biblical patience is to focus on the truth we cannot see to keep us from being blinded by what we can see. This concludes scripture number 49 and day 49 and our ongoing series, 30 scriptures in 30 days. I hope that when people hear this in the future, they'll notice that there's a gap between 28 and 29 of one day. And they're going to go, why was there a, why was there a day skipped there? That day was skipped, not intentionally, but it happened beyond my control. And you know what I saw? I saw technology failing. I saw technology letting me down, forcing me to have to redo this message, forcing me not to be able to keep the promise that I was going to keep, that I was going to do 30 programs and 30 days straight in a row where I looked at all of these principles and all of these scriptures. But you know what? That, that 24-hour gap is there to tell everyone that the person preaching and teaching on patience wasn't very patient. I did not patiently endure. I wasn't long-spirited. I had a bad attitude, had an ungodly attitude, and I was wrong. So I needed those 24 hours to once again tell me that I need biblical patience. So, you want to learn about patience? So, you, you want to teach about patience? It's very different in learning those principles I just gave you and actually exercising them when everything goes wrong. Because I don't know when it's coming, but everything's going to go wrong. There's going to be pain. There's going to be tragedy. There's going to be difficulty. And everything you see is going to go against the theology you confess. And everything you see can blind you to the reality and the truth that you cannot see. I hope these principles are there whenever you need them. And hopefully you'll do a better job in exercising biblical patience than I did with just the minor inconvenience of not being able to complete a podcast series in the way that I promised and the way that I wanted to. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com. 
newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back shortly to do day 30, scripture number 30, and bring this series, hopefully, to a very beneficial conclusion. Thanks for listening. God bless.